your mindset matters, your attitude matters, your actions matter. But we spend so much time trying to learn the secret or to hone in this tactical thing. Something I say a lot, and I I will shout it from the rooftops as, as long as people allow me to, success is about taking consistent and persistent effort over time. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to figure some things out. But the entire path to success in anything you want to do in, in life, whether it's business, whether it's personal, is consistent and persistent effort over time. And most people just don't wait long enough. Hey, folks, Clayton Collins here, CEO at HW Media. And today I have a repeat guest, Phil Treadwell, a market leader at Thrive Mortgage, where he leads the brew team in the DFW area. Phil is also the host of the Mortgage Marketing Expert podcast, where he's hosted 137 conversations and had close to 350,000 listeners tune in to learn more about mortgage marketing. The last time Phil was on Housing News, we talked about mortgage marketing in a low rate environment. So this episode, almost exactly three years later, couldn't be better times to reevaluate the market that originators and marketing leaders are operating in today. I hope you enjoy this episode with Phil Treadwell. Thank you. In today's changing market, Rocket Pro TPO gives brokers the tools they need to compete and win more business. Experience Pro Performance, the industry's elite training with three pillars. Sales training gives you the skills to do more for your clients. Platform training helps you maximize rocket technology and process. All Access combines the best of both trainings in a live session where you'll meet your team. Learn more about Pro Performance at rocketprotpo.com. Equal housing lender license in all 50 states. And MLS number 3030. June 10th, 2019. Is that that date ring a bell for you at all? It, it sounds like the last time uh, I got to be part of Housing News Podcast, my friend. And our entire episode was focused on marketing in a low interest rate environment. <laughs> <laughs> so i i couldn't um, I couldn't think of a you know a, a better thing to talk about today. <laughs> that, uh, three years, almost exactly, since you were last on the show, and. Um, probably going to flip that conversation today and talk a little bit about a little bit about marketing and origination in a higher interest rate environment. <laughs> They've changed a lot a bit. Um, you know, 2000 and what's what's ironic about that is 2019 was higher than what rates ended up in 2020 and 2021 and then the pendulum has definitely swung to here in 2022 we're much higher than we were in those those prior three years. So uh, the the market, I think, is probably more normalized than than some of the artificial rates that we had. But I'm I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it's um everything's hindsight is 2020, right? I mean, it's uh we we thought we were operating in a incredibly low interest rate environment in June 2019, and in historical context, it was a low interest rate environment. We just could never could have anticipated at that time, what March 2020 would bring and, and how the, the, the COVID pandemic would impact interest rates and, and housing demand and, and everything that's made this market crazy over the last three years. Yeah, it's, 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 been, uh, it's been really interesting to see how the market factors have influenced things so much, right? Not just the economy, but you know the, the bond market, the housing market, you know, we all know that this industry goes in cycles, but I don't know that anyone could have predicted we would have had this type of cycle through COVID and through housing supply and and uh, all the things that we're, I don't want to say struggling with, that we're dealing with right now uh, is is very unique. While this, we've all experienced uh, rates that increase very, very quickly and tight housing supply, we're definitely in kind of a unique situation right now. Yeah, it's, um, I always find it interesting to see how, mortgage and real estate professionals react and, and adapt to the, the different parts of the cycle. Have, have you followed some of the, the social media trends of the last two days, the marry the house date, the rate posts that are kind of all, all over Facebook and Instagram and, uh, and other platforms that I'm not cool enough to be on. 
<laughs> you know, I, I haven't heard that particular slogan, but I like it. Uh, our version of that is uh, you can always refi to a lower rate, but you can never go go back in time and, and buy a house at a cheaper price. So uh, folks that are waiting you know, for rates to, quote unquote, come back down, yes, we'll probably see some rate easing you know, over the next year or so. But even if you got that lower rate, your end payment is probably going to be more expensive just because, you know, home prices are outpacing, um, you know, what what interest rate decline is probably going to be. So uh, I like that. Uh, marry the house, date the rate. That's that's pretty good. Now that I mention it, you're going to see it everywhere. I, I don't I can't go on Facebook right now and not see 20 different realtors and, and loan originators posting about this. The positive and the negative. I've been talking about the, the concept on this on this podcast that when you purchase a house, the only thing you're locking in is the 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 home price and the the rate may fluctuate. You might be at refi up or, or down as your, as your needs change and the, the rate and term environment changes. But it's, I, I just didn't market it as well as marry the house, date the rate. But there, there's folks that are taking the, the view that I think you and I share that if rates do go down, um, there's always an opportunity to, to refinance and, and find a, a more affordable payment at a, at a lower interest rate. If they go up, you, you locked in a rate at a, at a low and you kind of waited out. But the other side of that is there's a group of loan originators who are making the argument that this concept of marry the house date, the rate might push people into overextending themselves under the assumption that in six or eight or 12 months, they're going to be able to reduce their principal and interest payment in a lower interest rate environment, which is a, I think a, a, a fair point, but a, um, uh, yeah, I mean, fair, fair point, I guess. Right. Yeah, I think it is. You know, whether mortgage professionals totally agree with this statement or not, we do have a level of fiduciary responsibility not to put someone in a loan, even if they qualify, that's not uh, the best situation for them or is going to put them in some type of, of financial hardship, right? What they can, quote, afford is a very subjective statement. But typically when you're talking to a borrower, you know, you'll you'll know very, very quickly, is this something that they're comfortable with? And anytime someone comes in and says, this is what I want my payment to be, this is the the range of home prices that I'm looking at with, with my realtor, it's almost always the one they choose uh, higher than that, right? They end up finding a home at the top of the range that they love. And so it's it's really up to us to make sure we're putting them in a good situation. It, it doesn't suit the loan officer. It doesn't suit the lender. It doesn't suit the industry as a whole to put someone in something that they can't afford. You know, temporary buy-downs. Temporary buy-downs should be to help offset the costs of moving and, you know, getting into a new home and furnishing and all those other types of things. It shouldn't be, I can't afford the fully, uh, you know, the full rate. So we want to do a 2-1 a or 3-2-1 buy-down for those first few years because, you know, hopefully I'll be making more. Or hopefully I can, you know, refi or whatever else. Uh, same way with adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, arms are, are having a resurgence right now. But I think people are focusing too much on what the rate is and not focusing on the long-term strategy. And that's something that our team spends a lot of time talking to people about. The, the lowest rate on the wrong strategy will cost you thousands of dollars more than if you understand what it is you're trying to accomplish with that home purchase and, and making sure that it's in line with um, you know, your financial goals. And, and even outside of that, who wants to be house poor? You know, that's what my wife and I always talked about uh, in, in, in previous lives of ours and in, in previous marriages, we, especially when you're young, you, you want to go buy this nice house and have this nice house to, quote unquote, you know, entertain and have people over. But really what happens is you bite off such a huge house payment that you can't afford to, you know, go out to eat every once in a while or, or to go, you know, do fun things for entertainment or, or go anywhere and your house poor. You have this really great house, but you can't afford to do anything else. And, and it, it's our job as, as mortgage professionals to have those conversations with people and let them know, you know, you can, this doesn't, I hate the term forever home. <laughs> Almost no one has a forever home. In my mortgage career, I've only met uh, a couple of people ever that have stayed in their home for an entire 30-year time period or even close to it. That just that just doesn't happen. That's not really our society anymore. So we need to be looking in the context of what is that window, you know, as your life changes, what are your needs going to be, um, and not focus so much on the rate. 
Well, you say the concept of forever home has changed, but housing tenure keeps shooting up. I think we're at 12 years is the average time that an American homeowner is staying in their house right now. This is up from a window of five to seven years, um, I, I just as recently as the the 90s. And L- Logan, our lead analyst here at Housing Wire, his view is that number will come back down to the, the 10 or 11 range. But we are in a, we are in a market and a maybe a, a societal trend where people do stay in homes longer, which I think has big implications on some of the product choices. So like in a market where you stay in a house for five years, arms are, are, are really logical, right? But if you're staying in your house 12 years, how do those adjustable rate products impact the borrower's ability to potentially stay in their house after a rate adjustment? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And again, it goes to understanding how long you realistically plan on staying in the home. Most adjustable rate mortgages right now aren't a viable option. They're at the same rate or close to what fixed rates are. And part of that is because the only way a lender really makes money or has the potential for making money with an adjustable rate mortgage is if there is that yield spread on that you know short-term and long-term yield curve or it has time for it to adjust and then create a little margin in, in, in the servicing of that loan. Most people, and I say most being a high percentage of people that go into an arm or an adjustable rate mortgage, don't plan on staying any longer than that fixed rate period. Well, if that's how those loans are performing, then there's not an opportunity for that lender to make any money. But more directly to your question, how does that affect the homeowner? You have to put that in context. If someone is, you know, building a business and they have, you know, increasing income year over year, or they're on some type of a career track where there's a realistic likelihood after not a six or 12 month time period, but a five to seven to 10 year time period, they're planning on making substantially more income. So if and when that rate adjusts, you know, they and if it adjusts up that they can afford that payment, then that's a calculated, um, you know, risk or investment, if you will. But I also think that most people get into arms to get a lower interest rate in the short term, thinking that interest rates are going to be on the decline and that they can refinance that into a lower rate before that initial fixed period changes. And again, that can be a strategy, but there's still a cost to, to refining a loan. Um, you know, most of the loan options are going to have, you know, an element of lender fees or title fees or potentially getting the home reappraised. And, and we won't get into all the nuances of the different types of loan programs, but I don't know if in today's market, that's necessarily the right strategy or even a viable strategy uh, versus, you know, putting those dollars to use somewhere else. Um, Cause again, you can put a break even analysis together pretty, pretty easily and say, okay, if I lock in it, X rate now, and I have to turn around and refinance it to, you know, this rate later, what is the actual savings by the time you, you know, take into account the money that's going to cost you to refinance? Yeah, it's, it's pretty phenomenal to, to think about the, the impact of demographics and all of these, these potential homeowners who are in market right now, despite the fact that there's been so much home price appreciation and, and interest rates are pretty high. And, and kudos to originators and leaders like yourself and your team who are helping these borrowers navigate these waters. The most recent MBA data, which which might be a little bit lagging or 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 low on an interest rate perspective, but last week the the average thirty year fixed rate according to the MBA jumped thirty three basis points to to five point nine eight. And even though most of the the locks I'm hearing are are in the sixes, but despite that. We had a 4.2% gain in, in applications last week, which to me signals that either demographics are just so damn strong, we can run right over any of these economic challenges, or people are fearful that home price appreciation or interest rate increases might continue to run. How are these stats impacting the conversations that you and your team are having with borrowers and and how are you like bringing this market knowledge into into these conversations to help borrowers make educated decisions yeah n- another great question i think the increase in applications is is from a couple of factors and this is i don't have any any statistical evidence for this this is more you know anecdotal you know, personal experience or or observation is we're getting into what is more historically the home buying season. I think we had a much busier, you know, 2021 and and even, you know, Q1 from a purchase perspective than, than maybe we thought we would. And I think going into 
the 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 summer home buying season that's contributing to part of it the other part of it is i saw some data the other day that were every month this year have increased uh in supply and and that may have been exclusive to the dfw market you know where i'm located but we're getting more listings where we're increasing in some supply and i think when you, you talk about the trend of interest rates increasing it's creating some anxiety with potential home buyers of we don't want to wait too long in case this rate trend continues. And so they're like, okay, if we're going to buy a home, we need to do it now. And I also think people want to take advantage of the this appreciation spike that we've had. We all know we're not going to see the level of appreciation in 2022 that we have in prior years. But right now, it's not slowing down very much, right? I, th- I think that the the market's starting to stabilize. But when you look at the average days on market in almost any area, um, we're like, oh, well, you know, they're increased or it's doubled. Yes, but it's still a fraction of what the historical average is. Homes are still moving very, very quickly. If a house is on the market for two weeks right now, people are like, hey, we can get a deal on this one. Yep. You know, like that's it's it's just crazy to me to think about. So I think those are those are part of the reason that the applications have increased. I think it's more, you know, purchase related where we saw those huge declines because there's not a lot of refinance activity going on. I think the other thing is, as people hear about the Fed, the Fed increasing the Fed funds rate, that they're equating that to mortgage rates. And this is probably one of the conversations we have the most is the Fed funds rate is a short term interest rate. And obviously, mortgage rates are a long term interest rate, you know, determined by mortgage bonds. They're two different things. Now, on that interest rate yield curve, they all work together in conjunction over time. But right now, most of the, I don't want to say economics of it, but the the normal rules are, are kind of off because of this environment that we're in. So what's happening is when the Fed increases the Fed funds rate and is helping fight off inflation, that's actually helping mortgage interest rates in the short term. And I think people forget or, or maybe they don't know mortgage interest rates or long-term interest rates, long-term bonds, the biggest killer of those or the biggest uh, in, you know, force that makes those increase is inflation. Because if you're a, an investor in a long-term bond or security of that type, like mortgage-backed securities, mortgage bonds, and inflation is going out of control, that's eroding that annual return that you're getting. That money is worth less and less every year. So bonds have to offer a higher yield or a higher interest rate to attract those investors, where if we can get inflation under control or when the Fed shows that they're serious about inflation, that actually makes bonds more attractive. And again, you know, Logan and, and a lot of other great economists out there know way more about this than I do. But when you take into consideration some of the other factors, you know, the stock market getting crushed, crypto getting crushed, you know, commodities doing what they're doing, big institutional investors are moving money around in much different ways than they have in the past. And if you talk about a potential recessionary environment, there's is going to be a little bit of a flight to safety when we had, you know, the Russia, Ukraine stuff going on. These things will help, you know, long-term interest rates and mortgage bonds uh, in the short term. Now, as you increase that, those short-term interest rates, they're eventually going to level out. But that's why I feel like we've got this 12 or 18-month window where rates are going to kind of settle down a little bit. We may see a decline in it. It really depends on a myriad of factors. But I think that the uh, the long story short on that is when borrowers see Fed is increasing, quote, interest rates, and they don't make the, you know, the distinction between the two. And they hear, well, the Fed's going to continue to increase interest rates. In their mind, they hear mortgage rates are going to continue to increase, and I need to jump on this bandwagon. Yeah. So like the guidance that we may be looking at another 75 basis point hike in, in July to the uninitiated might appear like mortgage interest rates are going to pop up again next month, where in reality, the securities markets and investors have already priced in those rate increases. And right. the, the real nuance to how mortgages are priced is not the announcement of the rate increase, but all of the, the nuanced guidance and the way that Powell speaks ab- about the economy and about plans they may have in tr- late Q4 or 2023 or even, even 2024. That's the speculation that that actually drives the market. I, I, I think that was a an excellent overview of the interest rate environment. But how how much of that do you 
share with borrowers? Like what is like, what's like your filter to like have a, a concise view to help borrowers make decisions and not get anal- paralysis by analysis? Yeah, it's, it's tough. And it, it's really kind of knowing your audience. Some customers want to know the granular details. They're, they're seeing headlines and they, they, they need you to tie the dots together. That's why it's so important to, you know, read housing wire news, to listen to Logan, to use some of the other incredible platforms we have in the industry to educate yourself on not only what's happening, but what the talk is about what's happening because the media is not interested in, and I say the media broadly, I'm talking the mainstream media that, that does the clickbait, the, the selling fear. Um, a lot of the stuff that people read in headlines is a piece of information that's designed to get you to watch a video or read an article more so than actually educate. And so a lot of times it's just about providing context for people. What we let people know is that we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. Based upon what's going on right now, we feel that rates are going to start to level out and even potentially decrease in the short term, meaning over the the next 12 to 18 months. However, home prices don't show any uh, sign of slowing down a ton, uh, even in a recessionary environment, because of simple supply and demand, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll share a couple of, of numbers that we do share with our clients. But for the interest rate side of it, we explain that the Fed, when they increase the Fed funds rate, that does not directly affect interest rates. And depending on what kind of questions they have about it, we may go into some understanding of, of those, you know, short term versus long term rates and, you know, uh, understanding that a lot of it's already priced in and, and has in the, the first part of, of this year. But one of the things that I think is the most important thing for people to understand that ties back to what we were saying in the beginning, you can't go back in time and buy a house at a cheaper price, you know, unless it's a foreclosure situation or something like that. And uh, one of the, the the pieces of information that we saw was between 2010 and 2019, in that 10-year time period, there were only 5.8 million new homes built uh, in the United States. And the reason that is significant is because in each of the six prior 10-year time periods, in each of the prior six decades, there were between 22 and 28 million homes built in that 10-year time period across the country. That 5.8 million number is the lowest since the 1930s, uh, you know, in the Great Depression. And so when you pair that with birth rates and, you know, the the younger millennials, which are, uh, there was a large number of them each year that are entering the home buying market, you take what's one of the largest home buying populations in history and you tie it to historically some of the lowest supply we've ever had coming off a decade where we only built a fraction of the homes we have in, in the, the 60 years prior to that, you create a a supply and a simple supply and demand conversation where there's too many buyers chasing too few homes. So take all the other inflation and economic things out of it. You just have people that want to buy homes or that are being told to buy homes. And when you create the emotional FOMO, the fear of missing out because rates are going up and, and, you know, people are creating all of this wealth and equity, you know, by owning real estate, you create an environment that's going to drive prices higher. And that's what people really need to understand is so much of what's driving what's happening right now is not even about the actual economics of it or the numbers of it. It's a lot about human action that's based on human emotion and, you know, the rhetoric all the way around it. So we do take time and explain that just because you saw the Fed increase 75 basis points and is likely to do that again in July does not mean in that, you know, five or six weeks that uh, mortgage interest rates are going up a point and a half. It doesn't work that way. And then we decide you know, depending on the situation, if they want more information, but we do take the time to explain the supply and demand situation with home prices and that this is not a quote unquote bubble. This is not what happened in 2008, 2007, you know, the, the financial crisis, the mortgage crisis, the housing crisis, whatever you want to call it. This is a very, very different thing. And there's not this bubble to burst. And, uh, you know, even if there was some type of a sharp decline, you're still not going to see anything near what we saw in 2000, even if it was the same percentage decline. Like if you, if you run the numbers, it's, it's a very, very interesting situation. So you just kind of have to let people understand 
are there markets and are there some home prices that are, you know, out of whack <laughs> that are that are pretty inflated? Yeah, there probably are because you had somebody list their home in 2021 that got, you know, 20% over ask. So the neighbor listed it at, you know, what they sold the, the neighbor's house at and, and got 20% over ask. And now you have this third neighbor that's way overshooting it. Well, all of a sudden, maybe they get at list price or a little less, and all of a sudden, people are like, "Whoa! Like we're 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 about to go into a decline. We're about to go into a bubble." No, people were trying to one up each other in home sales in a neighborhood. You know, one of the the neighborhoods that that we're really familiar with. It's it's a twenty year old neighborhood. There was, uh, I think, last year, about a year ago, it was the first house in the subdivision to break a million dollars. And now there's only 12 houses in the entire subdivision for sale, and 10 of the 12 of them are listed for over a million dollars. So you got to understand that you know the 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 borrowers or as as mortgage and real estate professionals, when you're talking to borrowers, people don't see the whole picture, and I think we take for granted that we have some context. So it's important to understand the way our team operates. It first understand what your clients are trying to accomplish with this home purchase. That's the most important thing. What are they trying to accomplish financially? What are their you know short and long-term goals? And then provide the context to them about what's happening in the market so that they don't make a knee-jerk reaction. And like a mentor told me a long time ago, people look at houses with their eyes and then they fall in love with their hearts emotionally. But the decision to buy or sell a home or to refinance a home is a financial decision. And we have to provide the right information to them to make the right decision above and beyond the warm and fuzzy or the panic or the FOMO or or whatever they might be feeling. So once folks fall in love with their heart and in this market room right now where there has been neighborhoods that have gotten extremely hot through over ass sales, are you running into any appraisal gap scenarios or scenarios where the homes just aren't appraising out and putting consumers in a, in a tough situation once they've fallen in love, but you know, can't consummate the transaction. Sometimes we're, we're not running into it a ton, mainly because most of the homes, I, I think, you know, credit to realtors. I, I think they're doing a pretty good job of pricing homes in a way that can justify an appraisal because they understand they don't want to go through the work on the buying side or the listing side for it to fall apart because, you know, the the borrower doesn't have enough funds to cover an appraisal gap. Um, we do have an appraisal gap strategy that we use in those situations um, or in, in certain situations. The only drastic one we've seen is is one where it was someone from out of state coming into the state. The house was uh, it was actually a townhome, uh, kind of a condo type townhome. The price was listed pretty high to begin with, and they offered substantially over ask, knowing that it probably wouldn't appraise, and it probably didn't appraise anywhere close to that. I say probably it, it didn't. Um, so I say that to say, I think that there there are some instances where homes aren't appraising, but I think that both the lender and the realtors kind of know what those are coming in. You know, they're, they're doing good CMAs, you know, those comparative market analysis, whenever they're listing a home, yep. they want to be able to justify it within reason. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but we're not seeing it as much as I think it's talked about uh, from, from my perspective. And now we're going to take a a really quick break for this week's edition of the Mortgage Minute brought to you by Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Keep listening for two powerful ways to use non-QM in today's market. This is Stephen Winokur from Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions with today's non-QM Minute. Let's talk interest only. Did you know there was a 40-year fixed interest only option available with many of our non-QM products? Borrowers qualify on the 30-year amortized amount, but can get a lower interest-only payment for the first 10 years. It is also a great way for real estate investors to maximize cash flow on rental properties. Have you heard of delayed financing? Borrowers who pay cash can get it back when they get a mortgage within six months of purchase. Originators get their commission. Borrowers get the house and a large portion of their money back. Everyone wins. Our non-QM loans provide an easy solution for delayed financing deals. Schedule time with your clients today to explain how this works. Need help? Call Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions and we will join your meetings. And that's today's non-QM Minute. So, Phil, we start we started the episode saying we'd probably talk about marketing a little bit. And for the for the uninitiated, Phil has hosted 
137 episodes of the Mortgage Marketing Expert podcast. 300,000 views, is that correct? Yeah, we're somewhere between uh, 300 and 350,000 downloads right now. That, that, that's amazing. So you've been doing this show for, for four years. Let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning a little bit and talk about the, <laughs> the initial mission and goal when you launched. Like, what, were you, what was the objective when you launched the Mortgage Marketing Expert podcast in that relatively low-rate environment we thought we were in in 2018 and 2019? Yeah, uh, it was, it was interesting. The, uh, I can, you know, still spit it out. The, the initial mission of the podcast was to, uh, to help mortgage professionals build their business and do mortgage marketing better. You know, 2017, 2018, whenever we were, you know, putting this together and kind of starting our marketing efforts, I was, a a non-producing regional manager and, uh, was trying to, you know, create some attraction and attention with mortgage professionals in markets in other parts of the country that I either had never worked in or people didn't know who I was or my company was. And I knew that when you talk about the basic marketing formula, which is who is your audience? Uh, what is the message or value that you're trying to provide that audience? And then the third step is what's the most effective medium to deliver that message to that audience? Our audience, uh, or, or my audience, my team and I's, was other mortgage professionals that we either wanted to network with, collaborate with, or potentially recruit to our company. And the message was providing value. Um, the most value we could offer was helping them build their business. And in 2018, social media was just starting to be adopted at a, at a, at a smaller level within mortgage. Um, podcasting was was a fairly mainstream, but not within mortgage and real estate. And uh, that was really the purpose behind it. Um, we still maintain that purpose, but we, we've we kind of grown and evolved it to where we want to help mortgage and real estate professionals create more effective and efficient businesses, as well as to, to become more modern and relevant. Uh, I think the mortgage industry as a whole, no one, no one questions about the fact that we've been behind a lot of other verticals and adopting some of these things um, for a variety of reasons. But uh, I was a younger guy who had learned from some of the more established, very successful, kind of older uh, group of, of mortgage professionals and realized a lot of them either didn't want to learn new things um, just because they didn't want to learn new things or they didn't want to invest the time and, and resources into it because they were at the twilight of their career and, and may not be around long enough in the industry to to see the payoff. And so we wanted to find other people that were of a like mind to say, hey, we need to continue to push this industry forward. And uh, so we we do. It's There's not a huge... Uh, a huge hook, if you will. We've just been able to collaborate with people like yourself and people in the industry, create incredible, you know, business relationships and personal relationships. You know, you've, you've become a great friend of mine uh, over the last few years and we've gotten our wives and families and stuff together. And, and I think that that for me was the unknown and tangible about a podcast is even in our business today, as we're building a production team and we're running a branch, uh, I had no idea that some of these things where I was going B2B and now as we're transitioning to more of this B2C model, I had no idea that how much the podcast contributed to relationships that are that are tying into to things now. So um, I, I stand by we can get super granular and retargeting and social media ads and all these cool marketing things. But, you know, people have are and will always do business based upon relationships. And so marketing is just about getting someone's attention uh, so that you can create a relationship and, and attract people to you like you are. So it's it's been a fun ride. Are there any episodes or guests that kind of fundamentally shifted your mindset for either your career, your approach to leadership or your approach to the podcast? Like, are there any moments or guests that just really fundamentally shifted the way you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there, they may not be, you know, some of the, the ones that, that people would normally think, you know, we had the opportunity at, at the housing wire conference to interview Ryan Serhant. We got to go to VaynerMedia and interview Gary V and we've had, you know, a lot of the who's who within mortgage and real estate. One of the first ones that, uh, that pops into my mind was Lee Brown, uh, another mutual friend of ours met her at, uh, uh, engage, uh, the engage marketing conference in Charlotte. And she's actually become a, a pretty close personal friend as well. She 
if anybody knows Lee, Lee just kind of says it like it is. And she says it in one of the most endearing ways. But she came on and really kind of laid out, you lenders out there need to understand what realtors are really looking for in a lender. And I remember that really shifted my approach because I'd not heard anyone say it quite like that. And that really stuck with me. There was another uh, uh, realtor that that came on and uh, was talking about some of the things that lenders did for her and that it wasn't about the bringing the cookies or the bringing the the muffins or sponsoring the events as much as when they stopped doing those things. And that's what stuck with her is, especially in the time we did this podcast, refis were very heavy. And she was saying, hey, you know, I understand my lenders, you know, uh, or this lender relationship is is fat and happy. But what happens whenever refis dry up? Then they're going to want to start, you know, what bringing cookies and wanting, you know, business again. And so there, there was, it was very subtle things. A lot of the big philosophical, you know, things were there, but a lot of times it was around a conversation where where people shared their perspective on something that we think we have our own perspective on, and uh, you know, really engaging in that conversation to realize, okay, that may be an incomplete picture of of what I thought it was. Um, there, there's been, you know, so many conversations about so many things, but the one thread, the one question we've asked every single episode and every single guest we've ever interviewed at the very end was if you could just give one tip to mortgage professionals today to go out to build their business, what would it be? And the answer has been all over the map. It's been from very tactical things like doing video, uh, or, um, you know, time block or whatever to, you know, put everyone, you know, in a database CRM to, uh, take an hour a day just for you, for your mental, emotional, uh, spiritual health. It, it's literally been all over the place. And I think that that's been the coolest thing for me is we could be having a 30, 45 minute conversation about, you know, really tactical stuff. And you ask them that question, all of a sudden it goes super visceral or, you know, we, we may be talking high level mindset and at the very end, boom, there's, there's a tactic. And I think that's what has kind of shifted my perspective more than anything is all of these things go hand in glove. Your mindset matters, your attitude matters, your actions matter. But we spend so much time trying to learn the secret or to hone in this tactical thing that we forget the 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 something I say a lot and I I will shout it from the rooftops as as long as the people allow me to success is about taking consistent and persistent effort over time. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up. You're going to figure some things out. But the entire path to success in anything you want to do in, in life, whether it's business, whether it's personal, is consistent and persistent effort over time. And most people just don't wait long enough. It might be a year for some people. It might be 10 years for another. But if the dream's big enough, the facts don't count. You just got to stick with it and, and, uh, and, and push through. I think a lot of people underestimate what a great learning opportunity hosting a podcast is. And we, we love doing it for the audience. I know you do it for your audience of, of helping people build better businesses through mortgage marketing, but it's a phenomenal opportunity for the host and getting to know you, Phil, I've, I've also seen how your career has evolved and changed since you've been hosting the show. So today you're a market leader at thrive and you're building a team uh, which I assume is a double entendre here, but the brew team, tell us about the brew team. What, what encouraged you to, to build this structure at, at thrive and go into like to head down the path of being an originating and producing leader. Yeah, it's, it was interesting. I'm a sales and marketing guy. And, uh, over the last 18 years, I've followed the path that I think we all think we're supposed to follow. You know, I started as an originator. I, you know, became a, a sales manager, a branch manager. I went on to have my own net branch, my own little 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 franchise, if you will. Uh, opened my own mortgage company. Um, sold that in the in the wake right before the the financial crisis. Um, was then a top producing originator. Went on to do some business development and recruiting, went the area regional manager route and, and actually came to thrive as a national director and uh, loved it, loved everything about what I've done in my career, have had the opportunity to work for and with some of the most talented people in the industry in, in a lot of different 
types of companies. I know that, uh, you know, we have, uh, a little bit of a divide between the different types of, of mortgage companies, uh, within our industry, but there's so much value that both bring. Everyone can learn from one another. But I, as I came to thrive, I really fell in love with, with our mission. You know, we exist to help people thrive. Um, it's not just exclusive to mortgage and real estate. There's, there's things beyond that. But I, I woke up and realized I still have a lot of productive years left. I found this model that I think is incredible that I love. Uh, my wife was also working for Thrive, and we just kind of made the decision. It was after, uh, I think it was my fourth Renee Rodriguez Amplify, um, that I wanted to go back into the branch and, and not just manage branches or, or Mangellos. We wanted to build a production team. Um, my wife, Stacy, is a, is a licensed loan officer, and uh, we decided we we wanted to kind of take on this new challenge. I saw what I thought was an opportunity in the market. And again, this is the end of the last year before we knew, you know, rates were going to go up, you know, 3% or, or whatever it's been. Um, and, but what I realized is so many mortgage and real estate uh, professionals say they want to help people. You know, I think that most people use the build wealth with real estate term. And, but most of them are very transactional focused. It's, I'm going to help you get into this home and that's going to help you create wealth. So we created Your Brew Team, and Brew is an acronym for Build Real Estate Wealth. And we we do that because we feel like almost everyone that I've ever talked to from age 22 to 62 um, would like to invest in real estate, and a lot of them just don't know how. You know, Maybe they want to sell everything and, and uh, live out of a, a VW bus or an RV and travel the country, which you need passive income for or a pile of money. Or they love what they do, but they're trying to save for retirement or increase their net worth. All of those things can be accomplished with real estate. And so we realized we wanted to take it further. We wanted to create a strategy. And uh, something we tell almost every uh, uh, client, and, and this is I, – I would love to take credit for it, but it's not mine. It's it's uh, kind of our own spin on a, on a script right out of uh, – uh, Todd, Todd Duncan's High Trust uh, uh, Sales Academy is, you know, we understand that a mortgage is one of the most, uh, the, one of the largest debts that most people take on. Um, and we feel we have a responsibility to not only help you manage that debt, but also the real estate assets and properties that are attached to it. And uh, we want to come alongside you and help you use that to achieve your short and long-term financial goals and ultimately build real estate wealth. And, but you have to know what someone's trying to accomplish. So, we have strategies for people that want to invest in short-term rentals and do Airbnb or VRBO. Uh, we've got some long-term rental strategies and, and those cash flow analysis. Um, you know, we we can help people with fix and flips, but a large majority of our conversations are, you know, someone calls wanting to talk about a bond or a down payment assistance program. And we have a conversation, realize that they're wanting to purchase a home. And there's one lady of I'm thinking of in particular that called. Um, I asked her, you know, what's significant about purchasing a home? And she said, I want to own property. That's awesome. That's part of the American dream. What, what's significant about owning property for you? And she said, well, I've uh, got a longtime boyfriend. And, and she was, um, I think, probably late 30s, early 40s. She had a longtime boyfriend, and we'll probably get married in a couple of years. And he owns a home. So I'd like to own a home too. So when we get married, we can keep those houses and have a couple of rental properties. I said, that's great. You know, that's, uh, uh, you're talking about having some, some passive income and, and creating a little bit of a real estate portfolio. And, and I went further. What's significant about having some rental properties for you guys? Well, then it, it kind of came out. I think it's Steve Sims in, in uh, uh, Blue Fishing that says you have to ask somebody, quote, why three times before you get to the real answer. Well, what we found is um, her grandparents had had a pretty tough life, but had made something of themselves and passed on some properties to her parents and, and aunts and uncles. And that generation had kind of squandered it a little bit. And so her and her cousins feel like it's their responsibility to help change their family tree. So what happened was we started with, I want to talk about bond or down payment assistance programs that are out there for first time home buyers to, I want to have a couple of rental properties and own property to, she wants to change her family tree and create generational wealth through real estate. Well, guys, I don't think I need to say talking about a bond or down payment assistance program and helping someone build generational wealth are two completely different conversations. And it only took about 10 or 15 minutes to have that particular conversation. And that was one of the first ones we had. And we realized very quickly 
there's not enough conversation being had about how to help people do this. We're so transactional focused as an industry. I contributed to it. We all contributed to it. But we've come off of, of a few years of being fat and happy and having low-hanging fruit and refis and this race to the bottom to offer the lowest 30-year fixed rate you can find. The whole idea of creating a strategy and actually being an advisor, like so many people claim to be, but are really just salespeople or order takers, we really wanted to build a team that mattered, that that really educated both clients and our partners uh, on this stuff. And so that was the spirit behind it. Uh, we've grown significantly month over month, every month this year in what is arguably a very, very difficult environment. But we're, we're not having the same types of conversations. And the last thing I'll say is uh, one, a client that was referred to us is relocating um, from Arkansas down to uh, Austin to work for uh, a real estate attorney that does stuff with property taxes. They have family around there. He has two small children, he and his wife. Uh, this will be their third home. And I asked him, I said, well, you have family there. You're going to be, um, uh, you know, uh, have small kids and, and purchasing a, a new construction. How long do you think, you know, you'll, you'll be in this house? Is this a passing through point or is this, you know, one of those long-term homes? Cause again, I don't, I don't like to use forever home. <laughs> and, uh, he kind of laughed and said, uh, he goes, man, that's a great question. He said, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before. And I was really shocked because he'd already purchased two homes, which means he'd worked with two lenders. He'd worked with at least two realtors. He was working with a realtor now. And it, according to him, not one person asked, how long do you plan on staying in this home? And it just reminded me, there's, we're, we're saying that we're wanting to help people, quote, build wealth with real estate, and we're wanting to you know, help people achieve their goals, and we're looking out for their best interest in being an advisor. But if we're not asking the right questions, I don't know that we're really doing that. How are you teaching and coaching this mindset and skill set to new members that join your team as you look to grow the brew team over time. It's a, you've developed a very unique skill set through decades of mortgage lending and hundreds of podcast episodes and, and lots of time with Renee and Todd. How do you translate this to folks that are entering the industry now so they can represent us well as mortgage professionals? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Uh, it's it's really difficult. Um, you know, right now we're we're focused on kind of building out our production and our systems, yep. and we do have uh, some people on our team that are building their own origination business. My advice to them is: you need to have a conversation. It's really that simple. Most people aren't having a conversation. If you're a mortgage professional and a realtor refers you a lead or someone calls you, it goes something like this. Hey, so-and-so gave me your name. Uh, we're looking at buying a house in this you know, area, this price range. They said to call you for getting pre-approved. Most lenders, most people that get that call immediately jump into talking about payments and loan types and asking about their income and assets. And, and they might ask a few personal questions. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is everyone. I'm saying this is the large majority. And you need to some say, that's awesome. Like, I, I'd love to know more about you. So, so kind of tell me, are you relocating? You know, what, what's, what's caused this move? What's significant about this home purchase for you? That's, that's a line we, we use a lot and have a conversation with people. What happens is we all say we want to build a relationship and we all are all over social media spouting this no like, and trust. They got to know you before they like you, like you before they trust you. But no one's everyone's so quick to try to jump to the transaction that they're they're not taking the time to get to know someone to give that client an opportunity to like you, let alone trust you. We truly, and I I, I say this very carefully, our team doesn't really get shopped with other lenders because we're providing them a strategy. So when we give them rates and fees, they know we're competitive, they know we're in the market, but if you've not been around very long, guys, there's always going to be someone that'll do it for cheaper. There, there's always going to be a cheaper rate out there. So just get that out of your head. But people understand that we're offering them the right thing for their life. And if they call up a call center, if they call up another bank or another lender uh, uh, or broker or whoever, and someone just starts quoting rates off to them, we've already planted the seed We've taken time to get to know you and figure out what it is you're wanting to do. And this is the right situation for you. So they don't even know if that's the right thing or not. So they don't, they don't need to. They know that, hey, they've taken time with me to ask questions. So 
the way to teach it is to tell people to slow down for a second and realize if you're going to be an advisor, you can't advise if you don't know what what someone's trying to accomplish. So uh, the other thing that I think is is very, very difficult for newer folks to understand or, or even folks that have been around a while is it's okay if someone doesn't want to work with you. It's okay. Like we talk about this rejection. I can remember the very first person I can I could give her her name um, that I thought was going to go with me and then decided to go with another lender. I was crushed. I can even tell you the property address. And the irony of it is I found out a few months later, my mom uh, was a teacher. She was my mom's teacher aide. But my mom's had a different last name, so she didn't know. She, she just knew I was young, and she just wasn't confident that I could could close the deal for them. I, that stuck with me, but because I just felt rejected, like you literally aren't going with me, not because of my company or the loan, but because you don't trust me. And that was kind of a turning point. And you have to realize, like we talked about, success uh, is is built on that consistent, persistent effort, but you're going to screw up. You're going to fail. Uh, I had a mentor tell me one time in sales, which is what we do, if you offer something to someone, they don't want it, you need to not take it personally. You need to treat it like you're offering them ketchup. If you were sitting at a table and you, someone had burger and fries and you grabbed the ketchup and said, Hey, do you want this ketchup? And they're like, no, no, thank you. You're not like, Oh my God, they hate me. Like, what do you like me? Like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> like I can't even offer anymore. I need more ketchup. When you look at it like that, we're sitting here laughing, but that's what people do. They offer them a product or a service or something. And they don't like it or don't want it, and that devastates them and that paralyzes them for wanting to go do it again. Go talk to a bunch of people. Stop being spammy. Try to create relationships and have conversations with people, and you'll be blown away about the folks that want to refer you business, about the folks that want to ask questions and engage with you in conversation because you don't have the stink of desperation all over you. And and that's really it. I'd love to say it's some complex uh, algorithm or or script it's literally slow down, have conversations, talk to people like a human being, don't get all bent out of shape whenever someone doesn't want to talk to you and go find someone who does. So if anyone joins the brew team, they walk into the conference room on the first day and there's a bottle of ketchup on the counter. <laughs> we know which analogy That's Phil's right. about to teach. Right. Phil, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your knowledge and expertise. If, if folks want to check out the podcast or, or get in touch with you, any, any info you want to share? Sure. Uh, uh, link trees uh, for a podcast is just uh, uh, mmepodcast.com. Um, I'm at Phil Treadwell on pretty much any social. And uh, our, our team name is Your Brew Team. You can go to yourbrewteam.com or find us on social as well. We're pretty easy to find. Phil, thank you. Have a great day. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. And that is a wrap. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation with Phil Treadwell, the mortgage marketing expert. If you enjoyed this conversation and found found any value, I really hope you'll go to iTunes and rate and review the show and then check out Phil's podcast, The Mortgage Marketing Expert. Have a great week.